0: Politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The conservative review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen yearning to fight the issues that matter in the way they matter at the time they matter. If that is your goal, this is your only place that supplies it. See our podcast. Your host, Daniel Horowitz, back here for Thursday, the 15th of December, our second to last show. For the year, just remember, you go to our Rumble page, see our podcast. If you type that in, it will come up. We're, we are going to uh, post videos there during our time when we're off of our regular broadcast. Because, look, I can't let you guys go for two weeks without the truth. And, and boy, do we need to hear it. It's only now that some of my colleagues are finally starting to realize, but always, too little, too late... That the entire Republican Party was a fraud. That even on the most common sense issues, we'll only have 10% of Republicans that are with us at any given time at the time it matters. And then afterwards it's too late. And that we spent three decades focusing on the Democrats, the Democrats, the Democrats, when they enabled these Republicans. But at the same time, there's a sense of empowerment that you're starting to see that when you raise the pressure level a little bit, it does have its effect. But then it begs the question, why couldn't we have done this earlier? And why don't we do this earlier and more often? Yesterday, I laid out a comprehensive plan for how to hold the Republican Party on a a short leash how to use and abuse them the way they use and abuse us, use them for our purposes, quasi-New Party within a new party, the benefits of, of a new party without the liability, but kind of use the GOP when you need to. Nobody else is putting this out. And it's a shame. Because it doesn't have to be this way. First, we'll, we'll start off with Congress, kind of what's going on in the House and the Senate, then go all over to maybe some COVID stuff, some loose ends, there's a lot to tie up uh, before before we uh, part ways for the end of the year at the end of tomorrow, but I just want to say today is the Bill of Rights Day. December fifteenth, uh, seventeen ninety one is when it was ratified. It took about two years to ratify in the states. I believe Virginia was the trigger state, meaning you needed ten out of ten. Yeah, it would have been ten out of fourteen states at the time to ratify, and Virginia was number ten making them become part of the Constitution, December 15th. And and these were so self-evident, Madison didn't even believe they needed to be enumerated and almost felt concerned that if you start enumerating it, it implies it comes from government. All we are trying to do is abide by those rights. There's nothing right-wing. There's nothing even conservative. There's nothing extreme. There's nothing revolutionary about any of the policies I'm proposing. Yes, somehow, you only have a handful of members that are willing to fight for it. Even on a few issues, much less all of the issues. Like I said, there's not a single Democrat who's not with the Democrats on every single issue. Yet there's almost not a single Republican who's with us on a single issue. And the few that are, are only on a few issues. That That's how much of an imbalance we have. But I just want you to understand the Overton window. Like, we're not even calling for massive spending cuts or anything. Gone are the days where Reagan, you know, in the late 80s, was still trying to overturn the Great Society and even uh, the New Deal. I mean, we've come to peace with that a long time ago. It's like, we're just, don't tase me, bro. But therein lies the problem. It's not about right or left or extreme or moderate, conservative and liberal. It's about are you with the corrupt system or do you want to change the corrupt system? And there are very few who will actually change the corrupt system. But that's all we're trying to fight for, just the Bill of Rights. Don't inject me with poison, don't cover my mouth, things like that. Don't give $100 billion to a corrupt regime in Ukraine. Don't cut kids' balls off. Don't invade your country with drugs and hundreds of thousands of illegals a month. I mean, these these are bedrock issues. A marriage is a marriage. A life's a life. Yet I want to show you, I want to demonstrate just how perfidious the Republican Party really is. It's not just a handful of people. It's irremediably broken. But on the other hand, if you actually pay attention and you apply a little bit of pressure, you do start to see some progress. But the problem is it's never sustained enough because conservative talk radio shows have ADHD. It's never enough of a focus. It's never intense enough at the right time. We're always playing catch-up. When we need a 10, they're at a 5. When we need a 20, they're at a 10. But you see how easily, if we would have focused our attention on the Republicans all these years, we could have over time built up an expectation that you cannot be in the party if you operate like this. But because we didn't, I want to give over to you Just how bad things are. It's worse than I thought. So first off, you had this ceremony with Nancy Pelosi retiring. And John Boehner was brought in to speak on her behalf. And he was crying over Pelosi retiring. And then he said, oh, his girls admire her so much. Basically, his kids are are, are a bunch of Democrats. And to me, that's the perfect embodiment. He wasn't the Senate leader, Senate GOP leader. He was the House GOP leader. I mean, we all know how liberal the Senate GOP is, but he was the House GOP during those formative Tea Party years. It was all a fraud. His kids are Democrats. Do you ever find Democrat leaders their kids are Republicans? No. Because they don't believe, and frankly, a lot of our own people don't believe. And look, look, you know, it says in the Bible... Fathers won't die on account of the sins of the sons and vice versa. You can't always control them. But let's, let's be honest. Statistically, if you have a thousand conservative parents that intrepidly instill it in the minds of their kids and make decisions based on that to protect them from those foreign values and make it clear that those values are not acceptable versus conservative parents that eh, they're kind of like they snicker, "Oh yeah, my kids are going to college, becoming liberal." You know, in, in the former group, you might have one or two exceptions, the kids just born a certain way, they have their own free will and it is what it is, versus the other one, you're going to have a much larger percentage. And I think that's the problem. We don't instill it in them. But certainly the elected Republicans, they don't believe it even on the surface. It's a joke. This whole thing is a joke. You always have, oh, I, I'm evolving on the issues. When have you ever had a Democrat evolve to the right on a single issue? I want you to think about that. There's almost not a single Republican that doesn't evolve to the left on every major issue that matters. But name me a single Democrat that has ever evolved to the right. It never happens. And again, like I said, Democrats currently in the House because of a few deaths and vacancies, they only have a two-seat majority. Yet it's not a problem for them to pass anything. It's never a problem. Even even their most, like, you know, like Slotkin in Michigan and Spanberger in that Virginia district, even the ones that are kind of in, in you know, swing districts, lean, lean light red, R-plus-1, R-plus-2 type of districts, No, they don't dissent on a single issue. They might disagree on some style, only enough to hold the seat, not because they really disagree with it. You can't go on this long. Let's start in the Senate. Let's start in the Senate. There's this kind of like new group that has gotten together to oppose the omnibus bill and regularly work together. It's Mike Lee, Ted Cruz, Rand Paul... Ron Johnson, that's four. Mike Brown of Indiana is joining that. I mean, he wants to run for governor, so he's gotten a little bit more feisty. Never really trusted him. But that's five. Rick Scott is six. Who else is involved with this group? Is Maybe maybe Rubio's there, too. I mean, it's not more than eight. Eight out of 100. And again... Even those eight, as you well know, on many, many issues, each one takes turn being horrible on. But these are the ones that at least sometimes they want to fight something. These are not right-wingers, the rebel-rousing caucus, the hell no caucus they call it. No, there's nothing right-wing about anything any of these people are proposing. I mean, Rubio, are you kidding me? I mean, a foreign policy is awful. He's awful on a lot of issues. But, like, the common thread, I think, with all of them is that they don't want to roll over on every last issue. They want to at least fight the system in some way at some time. And even then, we have eight. Eight Republicans. How was that able to happen? That after all that work—and, by the way, most of them came in in 2010, 2012, that one Tea Party era where we had a little bit of a focus— And the one election cycle where we had some success. And even then, we had to battle through the establishment. Mike Lee is only because Utah had the convention, not the primary. Um, You know, Rand Paul really had to battle Mitch McConnell's guy there. Even then, they were anomalies. They don't get elected by accident. Left to fate, nearly 100% are system people. Because we focused only on the D's. That was the problem for so long, and this is what we're left with. And again, these people and conservative outsiders, they need to recalibrate their strategy, their way of thinking based on that. I don't want to hear this. oh, well, another two years you have a Republican president, Republican Senate. No. No. You have to operate under that, you have a 90-10 Left-wing majority, what are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with that now? Oh, and by the way, that's the Senate. I haven't even gotten to the House, but first, our sponsor today, Moinkbox. They deliver the best-tasting, healthiest, non-Chinese-owned, or U.S.-grown grass-fed, grass-finished beef and lamb, pastured pork and chicken, and sustainable wild-caught Alaskan salmon straight to your door if you sign up for their monthly boxes at moinkbox.com, M-O-I-N-K box.com slash conservative. You also get a free, free filet mignon for an entire year is delivered. It's thrown in, so you pick your choices of what you want, and then they throw in the best-tasting filet mignon. Look, 60% of U.S. pork production comes from One company owned by the Chinese. Increasingly, what's happening to food is what has already happened to medicine in this country. It's owned by a death cartel that is poisoning us with with pro-inflammatory garbage. See, meat and chicken is really what you should be eating. Animal proteins. The problem is that, look, I mean, they put junk in them. So... You know, I always wondered with the hormones in them, is that why men are acting like women and women acting like men? Who knows? Who knows? But uh, just kidding there, but, you know, it makes you wonder. But get moinked like all of our listeners have by signing up, moinkbox.com slash conservative right now, M-O-I-N-K box.com slash conservative, and get one year of the best-tasting filet mignon you could imagine. So, folks, until now we thought, okay, The Senate is gone, but at least the House, the House Republicans have gotten more conservative than they ever have, right? And even I was starting to believe it's turned over. And the more I look at it, the more we haven't made progress. I want to read to you from Politico Playbook today. They're describing the McCarthy fight, what's going on in the the House, and it perfectly aligns with what I'm hearing privately. And basically, here's the thing. I've said this again. You can only have a fringe contingency of, let's say, you know, the 20% in the House and the Senate, 20% of Republicans who consistently dissent brazenly, blatantly, and vote with the Democrats. You can only have that because the mainstream of the elected GOP, the leadership members, the committee chairs, they're like that. They're also like that. And they know that their hope yes, vote no. Which is why they're laughing out of them. So all the senators are laughing out of Kevin McCarthy. On the one hand, it's good news, it shows that we finally focused on the omnibus bill, but it's in the 11th hour. And McCarthy's gradually getting more feisty. What he should be doing is holding a press conference and working with kind of that, you know, Rick Scott Uh, Ted Cruz group to have them object to unanimous consent on all the procedural motions and it will drag out the time past tonight at midnight, which is the funding deadline. And basically saying, the way to avoid a government shutdown is you give us a CR until February next year. But the point is, why didn't McCarthy do this in September, why didn't the conservative movement focus on this? I started writing articles in the summer. I said, look, there's going to be one thing that matters here. Republicans are going to win back the House. And the one thing that's going to matter is the budget bill. And they're going to want to pass a budget bill for the rest of the year to have the Democrats do it. Republicans currently, you need 10 Republicans to be peeled off in the Senate to break the filibuster. I so said, call on McConnell right now. Make it, he can't do it. I was like, Kevin McCarthy, you're going to become a speaker. And he refused to do it. And he actually, we know privately, he worked with them on it. Because he didn't think he was going to be challenged. But then he was. But the senators, but the rhinos see through it. They know he's a joke. So I'm just going to quote to you here from this guy, um, Kramer. Okay, this is a North Dakota senator. Rhino Dirtbag, Kevin Kramer. Kramer, this is what we have from North Dakota. I just think Kevin, for Kevin's sake, even though he's not asking for it, I think some Republicans just feel like we should relieve him of that burden. Meaning, oh, we we know you don't really want to have the CR, the budget on your hand. We'll, we'll take it off of your back for you. We, we know you have those, you know, half a dozen rabble rousers on you. We'll take care of you. It's a joke but it's even worse of a joke than that. You might've heard that there's this trend of this moderate group that came out of nowhere that's saying, wait a minute, anyone other than McCarthy is unacceptable. Otherwise we're going to work to get a different, a bipartisan speaker. I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. If Kevin McCarthy is really this, you know, right-winger, this born-again guy, he's not like McConnell and he's so much better and he's not like Boehner and Cantor and Ryan for whom he whipped for and was the floor leader. Somehow he's changed. Why would these the, the left wing of the GOP House be so into him? And why are they all of a sudden doing this? And I, and I, t- I noted it's all being orchestrated by McCarthy. Because he knows that conservative talk radio was so scared of but the Democrats. So he, he worked with them to say, hey, could you guys come out there and, and, and note that you have stronger numbers than the Freedom Caucus, the Rhino Caucus, and you're going to, you know, if, if I'm not speaker, you're going to work with the Democrats. So here, here's Politico playbooks right up on this. On Friday, after a group of seven House conservatives issued a public letter outlining the demands that GOP leader Kevin McCarthy would need to win their support, a key McCarthy backer quietly reached out to several moderate Republicans with a request, according to people familiar with the conversation. The Freedom Caucus rattle had reiterated their demand that McCarthy restore a 200-year-old, now-infamous House rule known as the Motion to Vacate, which allows any one member to force a floor vote to oust the Speaker at any moment. McCarthy's camp wanted the centrists to push back hard on the proposal which the would-be speaker fiercely opposes. If they did, McCarthy would be able to point to their opposition, say his hands are tied, and refuse to give in to conservative demands. Fast forward to this week on Tuesday, the centrist Republican governance group, which boasts fifty-five-zero members, far more than the Freedom Caucus's three dozen or so, agreed in its weekly lunch that it would oppose conservatives' proposed rules changes. A few hours later, some members of the governance group met with McCarthy to double down on that position. But the backstory of the moderates' flex, and especially the McCarthy camp's quiet encouragement of their opposition, reported here for the first time, provides a rare window into the strategy McCarthy will employ to try to get his gavel. By using moderates as the critical tool for countering conservatives, McCarthy appears to be carefully positioning himself to say to his right flank, Hey, sorry. Hey, sorry. Your own colleagues won't support such a demand. Having them play bad cop on anything from the motion to vacate to possibly a future debt ceiling showdown, for example, could set McCarthy up to be seen as the good cop. And this is his game. So he goes to conservative, you know who these people are, influencers, like, oh, I'm the most conservative guy. And, you know, we're trying to investigate the left and Biden and and they're just holding me down. And then he goes to these guys and they play a game for him. So number one, it demonstrates, it demonstrates just what a fraud McCarthy is, and they know it, okay? Otherwise, why would these people die on the hill for McCarthy? McCarthy seems pretty feisty on the surface these days, pretty right wing, right? Why would these guys be all for him? Number two, it demonstrates just how bad the house is. I didn't even know these guys existed. I thought it was maybe 10 members. They used to be called the Tuesday group. We called them the Tuesday lunch bunch. They had a Tuesday lunch. And most of them got defeated over the years or whatever. They retired. And a lot of them, like the whole group that voted to impeach Trump, they lost. So what's up with these guys? 50 of them. These are like blatant. And then you have like, again, North Dakota. We just said the senator's an animal. Kelly Armstrong. People are very much concerned about descending into chaos. She's a part of their group. I didn't even realize that. But then I saw she voted to redefine marriage. North Dakota! The House member and the Senate and both senators are, are animals. The other senator is, Cork, is is Hoven who's the original guy almost passed mass am- amnesty years ago. Remember the Corker-Hoven bill? Sounds like a, a diarrhea <laughs> of medication. Corker, Corker-Hoven, I'll never forget that. But this is what you have. 50 of them are blatant rhinos. I didn't even know it was that many, but you only have the 50 because the McCarthy types are frauds. I I could go down the line who is slated to be committee chairman of the Super A, they're called Super A and A committees. And they're the worst. Cole, Tom Cole. He said we need more funding for January 6th. Leftist, like on every issue. He's gonna be the rules committee chair. Rules committee chair. Runs the floor. Up and down the line. Armed services, appropriations, energy and commerce, finance, all of them. Talking about... I mean, energy and commerce is, commerce is going to be Kathy McMorris-Rogers. Would she have like a 40 Liberty score or something? It's non-stop. And they're right. They're right. The blatant... I mean... If you think McCarthy's bad, right, this is like the blatant rhino caucus. Imagine having a caucus with everything the Democrats are doing and Biden and so radical and destructive. And they're more concerned about the Freedom Caucus as a threat to the country than they are about that. That's radical. That's what I want to tell you. The Overton window has shifted so much. There's nothing big we're pushing. And yet you have more members of that caucus than the Freedom Caucus. And mind you, the Freedom Caucus, as you well know, is full of members like Jim Jordan that slobbered over Ukraine and are wrong on a lot of things. But I'm talking about, it's like you have, I mean, we only had like some like 60 Republicans to even oppose earmarks, which was a consensus issue that Republicans did ban during the Tea Party years under Boehner. They brought it back later, but I mean, this is just, you only have a handful of Republicans that will fight for us on any issue, much less a majority of the issues, much less all of the issues. The rest of them are literally with the system on every single issue. That doesn't happen by accident. I've been fighting in primaries for 15 years. I've been exposing this for 15 years. I've been having this legislative focus on them for 15 years. But that magnitude of scrutiny has largely been absent from this fake conservative movement. But again, you see, finally when there's a demand, you have a speaker's fight. McCarthy's getting a little bit more feisty. It's fake, and they know it's fake. Senate Republicans know it's fake. But it's something—the Eagle Act. Remember that um, that thing to give the visa giveaways to India and China—it got scuttled from the floor. And this is with Democrat control, technically. We raised awareness, and let me give you another example from the states. Last week, we had on, um, what's his name, Matt Strickland. The restaurant owner from Fredericksburg, Virginia, who had his liquor license taken for not having abided by the lockdowns. But it was taken in November of this year, almost a year into the tenure of Republican Governor uh, Youngkin. And we we raised hell about it. How in the world could this happen? You know what? He's getting his license back. Strickland announced on Twitter he is getting it back. Ask, and I don't know if you'll always get it because these guys are broken, these Republicans, but that's the one thing we wield over them is that leverage that you don't have over Democrats. Use it. Don't focus on the Democrats, focus on the Republicans. What is wrong with these stupid, go down the line, go to iTunes, filter out the top conservative News, talk shows, and tell me which ones are of use. Some are more entertaining than others, but which ones are locked into the truth and are focusing on what actually matters and where their leverage could make an impact? So this is where it's at. We could make a difference. It doesn't have to be this way. If everyone would have my focus, you would have forced this resolution within the party a long time ago. Here we're left broke. We're literally left with, you know, 10 to 20% of the GOP conference in both houses having any degree of value to it. And most of the rest is downright subversive and on the other side. That's how bad it is. And you know what? It's been like that in all these red state legislatures. What are there, 27 Republican governors? All but one is a World Economic Forum bot. Through and through, no exceptions. And most, ditto for most of the leadership. Leadership. Who is who is exposing this? Not just one time, but relentlessly, day after day. This is the only way we're going to even embark on change. Is if you first recognize this problem. You would have the entire movement blowing up the phones of these senators. You better not vote for an omnibus bill. You're undermining a Republican... Um, Republican Congress. Not that there's much to undermine. But I'm telling you folks. This is crazy. And, and we're made to believe like we're the extreme ones. You have North Dakota Republicans promoting gay marriage. Cynthia Lummis of Wyoming promoting that. I, I want you to take a listen to this clip from Joe Biden on Meet the Depressed 2006 okay this is not 1970 this is 2006 okay when republicans were trying to push back then a marriage amendment to the federal constitution so they were trying to make it that a state couldn't even a blue state couldn't adopt gay marriage take a listen to this the president used his radio address yesterday and tomorrow in the rose garden to talk about a constitutional amendment to ban gay marriage You know, think about this. The world's going to Hades in a handbasket. We are desperately concerned about the circumstance relating to uh, avian flu. We don't have enough vaccines. We don't have enough police officers. And we're gonna debate the next three weeks, I'm told, gay marriage, a flag amendment, and God only knows what else. I can't believe the American people can't see through this. We already have a law. The Defense of Marriage Act, where we've all voted, not where I voted and others said, look, marriage is between a man and a woman, and states must respect that. Nobody's violated that law. There's been no challenge to that law. Why do we need a constitutional amendment? Marriage is between a man and a woman. What's the game going on here? So, folks, forget about just the, you know, the technicalities of what he's talking about. He's just saying, you're wasting our time. You're being political about it. We don't need this. His point was, we don't need this. It's like, a marriage is a man and a woman. Like, no, no, no one's, what, what, what are you worried about? Now, it was a bluff. But the point is, that's where Joe Biden is the, is the kind of current face of the Fourth Reich. But this is what he felt, not 1970, 2006. How have we allowed the Overton window on civilization issue after civilization issue to move inexorably to the left? It never happens the other way where a Democrat evolves to the right. It's always to the left, and then the Republicans move along with it. What is so radical about anything we're proposing And yet we only have a minute amount of elected Republicans that understand what we understand, believe in what we believe in. How does that go on for decades? It goes on because the conservative movement is fake, because all these idiotic talk show hosts and cable hosts make a boatload of money grifting and selling us out. It's all about them. It's all about their ratings. It's all about their money. And they're happy. See, I keep beating the drum what we're doing is not working. It doesn't have to be this way. I'm very optimistic because I'm, I'm showing you a little bit of pressure makes a lot of difference. Imagine if you had a uniform movement, constantly sustained pressure on a multitude of issues and strategies and focusing on the people. Like, I'm going to come out with an article uh, noting all the incoming chairmen. This is your GOP Congress for you. I'm going to show their Liberty score. Imagine if everyone would do that. You draw attention that over time. And you build up over time. It would create a convert or die moment. And you see what is valued. Abortion and guns, we, we made strides on that. No other issue. Because we didn't set a red line. Or Trump. Trump personality. Trump impeachment. You set the red line, you'll usually win. Because keep in mind, The Democrats already have the voters. These Republican jerks really aspire to to, to get in their camp. They have them. So they can't get them. They need us. We have to stop acting like we need them. They need us. Never forget that. And that's why it needs to be made clear we need petitions. So they see it in writing. X number of thousands of people in their state registered Republican will not vote for them in a general election either that they're unacceptable i just want you to know it doesn't have to be this way but because this movement of trying to go over every house seat and senate seat and state legislator and governor every primary election like i've been doing for so many years or going over all the legislative ways that we could improve our country but for which Republicans are screwing us. Every leverage point, every budget bill. I've highlighted every budget fight for the last 15 years. I could tell you it's a really, 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 really small movement doing this. And it shows the results show. You could tell McCarthy is literally doing what I called on him to do in the 11th hour only after he's challenged for, for the speakership. They could have easily done this. Could have easily done this in September. They could have just punted it to, 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 to February. But McConnell knew that McCarthy really wanted it that way. They know. They, they laugh out of him. That's what I'm saying. It's like the, the reason why I like the, I, there's the blatant rhinos and there's the undocumented rhinos which is really most of the party. We're the rhinos, actually, but whatever. You, you understand what I'm saying. So the blatant ones are only able to do their thing because the center of gravity of leadership are undocumented ones. So these senators are openly laughing at a McCarthy. They're like, okay, yeah, we know you're putting on your show for the Freedom Caucus because you want to make sure you're able to you know, keep that gavel. That's what it is. This whole thing is a joke. This whole thing is an utter joke. And you know it. So obviously, we're going to be off next week. But I will keep you updated on the Omnibus, on the speakers fight. Again, you could follow me on Telegram, Telegram at C19TruthBombs is where I'm at. I'm still not restored on Twitter. But I will try to come out with, you know, at least once a day, some sort of video Uh, We'll post on our Rumble channel, see our podcast on Rumble, and then we'll get that disseminated. But just to to sew it up here with uh, the speakers fight, the important thing on this rules fight, just to remember, is that I I think the conservatives need to make sure they're getting the bang for their buck. Like, McCarthy is going to have to give in to something, and... You know, they have to make the most impactful ones. Like, I still think a majority of the majority rule. And really, what's really important is the prerogative of 10% of members. Think about that number, because that's about what we have. 10% of members to force an amendment vote. And then that a Freedom Caucus member has to get the rules committee chair. You know, they have almost all the other committee chairmanships. We have to control the floor. We are the GOP platform, right? I think that's the most important thing, to make sure we can get a voice. We might not be able to stop their stuff, but get our stuff out there and put them on the record and embarrass them and create these inflection points. To me, that's even more important than the motion to vacate because realistically, you're not going to get rid of the speaker that much. Um, To me, I I would hang my hat on that. Like For example, one of the things McCarthy is signaling that he's getting used to Uh, that he's warmed to is the Holman rule. And this allows you to isolate a particular bureaucrat and zero out his salary. You could put that in a budget bill. The problem is that the Holman rule is only meaningful if you're going to fight on the budget. And that requires, you know, like forcing amendment votes or a majority of the majority rule vote. Because otherwise, yeah, McCarthy will pass out a budget bill that has good stuff in it, including, you know, zeroing out funding for Fauci or whatever, be like that. But then they'll cave when it comes time for the deadline of the government shutdown. So you got to watch out carefully what he agrees to. And I just want to make one comment on this before we move on just this whole speaker's fight. Through it all, there's one voice that could loom large, as I mentioned before. Donald Trump could have been that guy, everything we're talking about, not focusing on the right issues, the right subject matter, the right leverage points, the right issues. But not only wasn't Trump the force for that; he joined along to play the same GOP game, and 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 he's whipping and calling members and pressuring them to vote for McCarthy. And I was thinking, like these Freedom Caucus members, I mean, they're Andy Biggs, Matt Getz. Matt Getz was a doormat for Trump. I mean, he served him for years. The loyalty is only to the rhinos, never to these guys. But at least, at least. Trump should sit down with these Freedom Caucus guys and say, look, I think for now, probably we should go with McCarthy, but I'm going to publicly put out a press release and call on McCarthy to adopt your rule changes. Can you imagine how impactful that would be? But no, it's never about substance. Trump announced yesterday he was going to come out with a big announcement today. It turns out, as we're talking, he's uh, re- revealing a product line or, or introducing a product line of Trump hero cards. 99 bucks a piece if you want. Like, I'm sick of him mooning us. Excuse me, I I, I need to put my rear end here and drop my pin. No, no, we, we have lives to protect. Like, we don't have time for your garbage. Just shut up. I'm sorry, and if people are insulted by that, then fine. Stop being so prickly about one man. And speaking of saving lives, nowhere does this... 30, 40-year GOP perfidy come to a head than with COVID. When you have the issue that matters of them killing, killing millions of people. Here we are, almost two years into this, and just about a couple of Republicans are like, yeah, we shouldn't quite mandate it. I wanted to note something. Even some of these voices that are like raising questions about the vaccine, they're doing it in a very subversive, stupid way. So they're, like, basically limiting the problem to just myocarditis among young males. And the implication, and some of them are saying it blatantly, oh, but seniors, seniors should definitely, the benefits outweigh the risk. And, like, what are you talking about? What are you smoking? What data point shows that? A, they're getting the injury wrong. It's a lot more than myocarditis for... Um, younger people. In fact, it's broadly cardiac and circulatory for older people, even more so. The thing is, they don't even come to a myocarditis diagnosis because they just, their bodies can't handle it and they just suffer a heart attack. That's partly why you don't have as many myocarditis diagnoses with them. They just die suddenly. Moreover, you have the neurological stuff, you have the cancers, you have everything. It's so much more than that. And then on the efficacy side, Dude, so for the current iteration, and it's been this way for a while, it's straight up negative efficacy. Straight up negative efficacy. In fact, I have data here that Dr. Paul Alexander sent me. He's from Canada, so he follows there. They have data, and this was about a couple weeks data set. It's only a couple weeks. It's from March 21st to April 10th of this year, so a while ago, but after Omicron predominated. Okay? Deaths. This is not cases. Deaths. So this speaks to its supposed protection against death and hospitalization. The rate of death per 10,000 individuals... Unvaccinated was 1.06. Double jabbed was 1.52. And triple jabbed was 2.13 per, per, per 100,000. So that negative efficacy, it because it destroys your immune system, it erases your natural immunity, it precludes natural immunity, it makes your body misfire, um, pro-inflammatory reaction, it's like lighting a match i mean you're ready the spike protein of the virus is entering with home field advantage but even the original strain all of that data that they show it's predicated a on the manufacturer's data which is fraudulent and b the everyone agrees that the first 14 days you're more at risk for first 14 days after getting the shot but so when when you're trying to do an analysis of Okay, I'm comparing the vaccinated to the unvaccinated. And you take the first 14 days of deaths of the vaccinated, which is caused by the vaccine, and you not only don't count it against the vaccinated cohort, but you dump it into the unvaccinated cohort that's double counting falsely. So that's a big part of that. And then on the backside, on the waning, it was negative too. So they find that sweet spot, oh, if you got hit, With COVID, at that time for that three-month period, you might have some benefit. This was the original strain. But A, that ignores all of the side effects, which they're limiting to myocarditis and it's not. And B, it's ignoring the fact that on the take-up you have the risk and then on the way down. Why do you think they're pushing boosters? This is their thinking, not my thinking. It's not because uh, to stop transmission. They agree it doesn't. That's because the the supposed efficacy against critical illness waned. That's why they did it. So even according to their narrative, in order to continue enjoying that illusory, which you don't under the current variants, but that, that originally you supposedly enjoyed this illusory uh, efficacy, you have to keep jabbing them five, six times And then you get a magnified, multiplied effect of dose dependency that for sure it's more risk than return. Now there's just straight up no return. But I'm talking about originally, I hear all these voices saying this, and I resent it. I know so many people, and when I say seniors, I don't mean people in their 90s. I mean people in their 60s. They look horrible. They look half dead. So many people that had heart disease and and diabetes. They died from the shots. You can't just indefinitely say, oh, well, you're for sure at risk. No, that was a talking point to suggest that, look, even people that prima facie have no risk, they're incurring uh, of the virus, they have, they're incurring the risk of the shots. So these people are at risk for the virus. But there's no evidence it helps. It doesn't. It hurts. You have other treatments. This is going to make them perpetually get COVID. It's self-fulfilling. And they're at the most risk. Folks, we, we forget how long it takes. It's like right now, people are starting to say, yeah, maybe kids shouldn't get it. That's like the Republican line, finally. But this was May. We talked about it at the time. May 2021. A year and a half ago, the British Medical Journal published a study we talked about at the time. But those of you who don't remember, it's worth reiterating. Look it up. This is one of the most important things to show. It's black and white. Title, COVID-19 Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine is likely responsible for deaths of some elderly patients' Norwegian review finds. And basically what happened was the Norwegian Medicines Agency, they suspected that, wait a minute, this is wiping out elderly people. So they took the first 100 all-cause deaths in nursing homes after vaccination. So after the vaccination commenced, nursing homes were vaccinated. They looked at this like in February and March of, of last year. Like, let's take the first random 100 people who die in nursing homes and, and study what they died of. All cause. 10 out of 100. 10 out of 100. All cause. Meaning this is not like died within a second of the shot necessarily. Where like, you know, you would think they died from the shot. Just all All cause. Out of the blue, 10 out of 100 likely died from the shot. And 26 more, that that brings up to 36, a third of them possibly did. And only 59 out of the 100 could they say were unlikely. That's insane. This thing is clearing out older people. This notion how somehow it's only younger people cause benefit. I, I, I still hear people saying that. That ship has sailed a long time ago. This thing is so damaging. It's not even funny. Truly, truly disgusting. And by the way, we might have the best data set out yet from, um... Where is this? From Germany. So... Basically, Germany, as you well know, has been putting out, they've had a lot of data from health insurance, and now we have life insurance, we have ICD codes of died suddenly and um, cardiac-related deaths. And our, our friend Midwestern Doctor, if you want to look it up, Midwestern Doctor, that's what he's called on Substack, he has a great piece out. Basically, there's a political party, a right-leaning political party called AFD in Germany that they held a press conference, and they got a hold of whatever the German equivalent of FOIA is. They got data from KBV, which is the association that represents all the physicians who use insurance in Germany. And the data summarizes the number of times all ICD-10 diagnostic codes were used by German healthcare providers for their patients. They, they establish like a five-year baseline from 2016 to 2020. Then they looked at 2021 through the first quarter of 2022. So it ends, the data set ends March or, or April 1st, 2022. So we don't have like the brand new stuff, but you have a nice year and a quarter, five quarters worth of post-vaccine data. And I, I just want to say before we go over the data, I just want to just say from the onset, it is not our job to prove conclusively that 100% of the 3 trillion percent increase in this is exclusively from the vaccine, okay? It's the preponderance of evidence with the mechanisms of actions, the thousands of case studies, peer-reviewed studies, theirs, v surveys, autopsies, life insurance, disability, medi- it all paints the same picture. So people, oh, well, maybe the, the codes like change a little bit. The data wasn't designed to be used this way and there could be some, eh, we, within the margins, that could be true. But that's not the point. We've never worked like this. Like somehow we have to prove with 100% suit- certitude of an exact measure, no. We have proven that it's well beyond what you would typically pr- pull a shot. But the data they presented basically adds up all the R-96s. R-96 is sudden death, death occurring within less than 24 hours, not otherwise specified, death unattended, or R-99 is other imprecise or unspecified cause of death. So all the murky, sudden, Unknown, right? And, and that, that's going to be always very consistent. So th- there's a separate chart just so that I'm going to read you to you the combined chart. You could look it up. There's two of them that together with I 46 codes, which are sudden cardiac death, cardiac arrest, and that. So those two are what you want to know. And what their data set shows is that if you add up all those codes together, they roughly coast or have been coasting around the 5,000 to 6,000 marker per quarter. Per quarter. If you would add up all those codes that I just mentioned, five, 6,000, a quarter. Suddenly you come to the first quarter of 2021 and you're at 15,198. Okay, that was the first quarter of vaccination. 50, that's like times three. Then it's 13,400, 13,600, 14,831 for quarter four of 2021. That's where you're going to get a lot of boosters there. And the first quarter of 2022 is 14,720. And mind you, you don't really have an appreciable difference in 2020, the year of covid before vaccination. Okay, you don't really have that. Because again, even though, keep in mind, even though a lot of people ultimately die from COVID, die of cardiac arrest in the ICU, it's a progression, and it's not sudden. You don't die at home. You don't just like get COVID and you get a heart attack. You'll experience the flu-like symptoms, and then the pulmonary kind of go through that whole phase that's not covid doing that but as this midwestern doctor notes i did a quick calculation for the above graph and found that 2021's increase from the previous five-year baseline was a 37.7 sigma event and 2020's was 41 for context a, a seven sigma event has a one in 3.9 trillion chance of spontaneous occurrence, meaning it is thought to occur once in a billion years. A 10 sigma event happens spontaneously once every however many billions of years. I can't even read this. 5.2 billion years. So in other words, that can't be by chance. So what happened was this caused a big stir in Germany And and basically, the KBV, you know, association put out a press release rebutting this. Okay? They put out a press release rebutting this. But the problem is, their press release, so first of all, it validates that the data we're looking at is correct. It's not like they're making it up. And they're like... Well, the database was not created for the purpose of doing ad. The codes in this database cannot be correlated with vaccination status because many people received the COVID vaccines in settings that did not result in codes being submitted. So that's true, but a lot of them, they were submitted. So you have a universe that, meaning it doesn't explain the time, the timing. And then they throw in their COVID. They make a thing that could be covid And it's like, no, it's not, because it correlates not with COVID, but with the vaccine. And if you want to tell me, oh, Delta, Delta was really, really just like a killer. Now, again, we've already talked about this with people that have done this in Massachusetts and Vermont. We're seeing the same story across the world. It's not any one country or any one data point. Um, Delta didn't happen until, until... you know, June, July. It wasn't around that early. And then moreover, Delta wouldn't explain. Delta would be pulmonary. It wouldn't explain the sudden deaths. It doesn't explain that. But again, we have like a hundred of these type of snippets. But each one, they'll play games in. And, and there's truth. You, you could say, well, maybe this, maybe that. But that's not the point. It's just a matter of what is the magnitude of the Holocaust that happened so far, which we're honing in pretty close to where it probably is. And then how much is this the tip of the iceberg and how bad the long term is? That's three trillion light years beyond pulling the vaccine and throwing the people in it who behind it in jail and making sure people get treatment and diagnostics for this. And obsessively getting to the bottom of, the, of this and certainly wiping out this technology in the pipeline for any future use in the near future. That's the point. Some of these like, like data retards like sometimes get a little bit too, they miss the forest from the trees. They, they throw up these factors that, that don't fundamentally change the point. Yeah, I, I, I get it. I get it. That whenever you look at certain data sets and codes, there's always other anomalies that, that just happen to coincide with January 2021. I, I get it. Not 2019. Not any other year in your five-year baseline. It's always that year. I get it. I get it. We're the ones putting out misinformation. I, I get it. But they can't all be honing in on the same point. And never forget... See, they always said, okay, fine, it doesn't stop transmission, but let me tell you, this is a 90, 95% effective in preventing hospitalization and death. But if you remember, starting with that Harvard researcher from day one, if you did a macro epidemiological comparison, meaning you compare country to country by time and by rate of vaccination, we never saw a benefit and from day one, there almost seemed to be a, rever- a a negative, an inverse correlation. And then over time, that inverse got even stronger. But never did they show in the real world. See, there's BS. Oh, the, the, this, this, that, this. Oh, no, I, I could point out and show you the unvaccinated are the three trillion times more likely to die from COVID. Yeah, I, I get that. But the problem is, We never saw all-cause mortality benefit, and we never saw all-cause COVID benefit. Again, you go to a state like Vermont, fully vaccinated, especially the seniors, and the seniors are already starting to get boosters. By the time they had more deaths from COVID and pulmonary, you know, their ICD codes for, like, pneumonia than, than ever before. How do you explain that If it's 95% effective, it never made any sense. You know, and then a Harvard guy looked at, like, almost 3,000 American counties and, you know, a bunch of European countries. Put it all together. If you have the worst of the plague that we've had in a century and you have a 95% effective vaccine, Again, we're talking about for, for mortality. We're not even talking about cases anymore. That was obvious. You would see some positive correlation, and that in itself wouldn't prove causation. But you found the opposite to varying degrees, and over time that signal got stronger. It makes no sense. It makes no sense. Meaning, meaning what I'm saying is it's two things. You might say, well, yeah, Daniel, that's because it caused the Holocaust with all the adverse events. So maybe that wipes out its benefit to COVID. That's what I originally thought. But the problem is it's worse than that because even if you isolate, if you, if you look at data on legitimate COVID deaths, our friend Aaron at his um, Substack stack Ashmedai, uh, check it up. He has a lot of good articles on Vermont. He called the death certificate data And he isolated COVID with pneumonia, ICD code. So the thing about pneumonia is that, so that gets rid of the, you know, oh, you know, the guy had a motorcycle accident and uh, tested positive for COVID. They count that as a COVID death. Now, that's as legitimate as you're going to get. They blew up after the vaccination. It doesn't make any sense. There was no one left in Vermont not to vaccinate at that point. There's nowhere to run or hide from this. You have all these nerds and like, and then even on our side, like you'll have some people putting out this information. Some are like, no, you have to be careful not to put out like misery because it could be this factor. It's not the point. It's not an exact number. It's like, it's like they commit a Holocaust. And it's like, well, you know, you could say a minimum 4 million people died, and this thing kind of shows at 6.8, and this thing might show five percent. Well, daddy, you can't say that because... Uh, what? But what are you talking about? This thing is being used as the greatest virtue in the world, a tool to be shoved on everyone to this day, whether it's mandated or pressured, funded, marketed, encouraged, in every healthcare setting. You know, stop it. But again, this just gets back to what we started with, that we're always years too late. Are we gonna do this with RSV now? It'll take two years to to, to finally build the case against it? I'm sick of this day-late dollar short. It's time we get ahead of the curve. And that's what I promise you next year, to begin getting ahead of the curve, ahead of some of these issues. State legislatures, Anyone who is a state legislator listening, you have to understand, don't sell yourself short. Don't think, oh, this is not achievable. You'd be shocked at how quickly things become consensus. Like banning Chinese land ownership was like a dream. And now it's, it's that, that things those dominoes are falling. Now I think you need the strongest bill to ban as much association, not just agricultural land, any land, and have the state government divest completely from them. There's better bills, but the point is, Start off with your strongest thing. Now's the time. We're playing catch-up. You can't go hardcore enough when that Overton window has moved light years to the left. Stuff I'm advocating for is stuff Democrats would have agreed with five years ago. Never forget that. Never forget that, folks. But send me your comments, questions, concerns. Again, I'll, I'll still be answering email for most of the time. I'm not, I'm not really taking off. <laughs> the blaze is taking off, so I can't broadcast, but I'm I'm going to be in the thick of things. Um, see our podcast on Rumble next week. I'll start. Um, I'm still going to have a show. Tomorrow will be the last show with Lara Logan. We'll talk a lot about Ukraine and what's going on there and the, and the fraud there, which, again, 90% of Republicans are bought into. Same deal there. Daniel Hurwitz at uh, startmail.com is the email, at C19TruthBombs on Telegram. So tomorrow, God bless y'all and thank you for listening.